1944, 16 men from around the country were selected to be the first black men to participate in U.S. Naval officer training. Previously, blacks were not permitted to join. They did not have a whole lot of support. The Navy didn't want them. They were demeaned and abused by their instructors. They were separated from the white sailors. Adam Grant wrote, The candidates had to complete a full semester of coursework in just 10 grueling weeks. They would wake up each day at 6 a.m. to march, take eight hours of classes, and study well into the night. They were tasked with mastering seamanship, navigation, gunnery, law, naval regulations, aircraft recognition, signaling with flags and Morse code, and survival, all within record time. These men, some with no military experience, some with little past success with academics, they were just regular guys, performed so well on the exams that the Navy, who had been working so hard to make it impossible for them to succeed, was suspicious and made them retake the exams. They scored even higher. Years later, they discovered they'd scored higher than anyone else in naval history. In the end, 13 of the 16 went on to serve as officers. They were called the Golden 13. Grant writes, the Golden 13 got something right that the rest of us often get wrong. In the face of seemingly insurmountable obstacles, it can be tempting to give up. It's just too hard. The forces against us are just too strong. At times like this, we're advised to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. The message is that we need to look inside ourselves for hidden reserves of confidence and know-how, but it's actually in turning outward to harness resources with and for others that we discover and develop our hidden potential. When the odds are against us, focusing beyond ourselves is what launches us off the ground. Welcome to the Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Sarah Colantonio. Our intention for the Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. So today, we're turning our focus on optimizing potential And I'm so grateful to have Elisa Jones, the president and CEO of Union Community Care. It's located right here in Lancaster. Elisa, thank you for being here. Thank you. And Dr. Alex Royer, Doctor of Social Science and uh, Community School Director and Adjunct Instructor. Alex, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So, isn't that... (laughs) Golden 13 story, incredible. It's so inspiring. These men were driven to succeed. Um, They knew it would impact future black men who wanted to join the Navy and be able to be promoted. What did you think of it? What did you think of the story? Just a open-ended question. Elisa, can I pick on you first? Absolutely. I mean, talk about inspirational. Yeah. And I think it's a beautiful example of black excellence as well. Yes. Um, So without a doubt, you know, these men knew that what they were doing was historic. And what I love about the story that you highlighted is they knew it was about doing it together. Yeah. So the power of what we can achieve when we're together versus thinking of ourselves as 
going at it alone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of the men that were interviewed, they talked about how one of the guys said every single one of us went through a period where we were like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. <laughs> and everybody else would be like, no, <laughs> come back. We have to do this. And so they really carried each other uh, I mean, against all odds. And uh, yeah, I find that so moving, the, the, the collective team and care that, that went into it is really meaningful to me. Was this something that you've heard of before, Alex? What did you think of this story? I hadn't heard of the story before reading it in the book. Um, but like you mm-hmm. both said, I really appreciated that it was a group success. Yeah. Um, it was a group effort versus, I mean, we hear so much about individual success mm-hmm. in the world. And this was, nope, this is this group of men all working together towards a common goal. And they looked out for each other along the process. And I just think that's very powerful compared to, you know, Mm -hmm. just looking at one individual being successful in this. Yeah. We always talk about the possibilities, the collective brilliance you can achieve with more than just yourself. Mm -hmm. And I I love this example so much. Um, You know, one thing that, that Adam Grant talked about in the book was how some of them interviewed, part of their motivation was to be there for each other, right? So it was that kind of immediate thing, but they they did know it was historic and it motivated them to press on, which is huge. Uh, But that made me really wonder about the two of you, Elisa, what what motivates you to be a high performer? Well, I have to just say that <laughs> even being asked, you know, what motivates you to be a high performer assumes I am a high performer. Um, but if we just assume that for now, because I think it's all dependent on your body of work, um, I would say what what really motivates me are impossible challenges. Mm. I'm kind of, um, I'm a like supreme weirdo in that I'm only interested in hard things. Okay. So if it's not something hard, I'm bored. Uh, And I think in my case, the hard thing that I'm passionate about is how to create more fairness in the world. And it's a motivation. And to create more fairness, you have to figure out how to do it, right? It's something that can be measurable. So it really does motivate me to how do we do it? How do we do more of it? And especially now, how do I find other people who are also equally obsessed and get them to join this movement so that, you know, we can make Lancaster a more equitable place from a healthcare perspective. And hopefully that will continue to motivate um, other areas and other communities. Yeah. So the challenge of it is like, okay, bring it on. <laughs> it's it's the only thing that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you were saying before we started podcasting about the fact that union isn't your typical healthcare provider. Can you speak a little bit to that? The What makes... What makes that the challenge? Yeah. So healthcare, for folks who may not be aware, is a highly regulated industry. And it's, in most cases, in the United States at least, it's a very it's very costly. Yeah. And there is a supposition that you get the best care if you have the most resources. Yeah. Whether that's right or wrong, that's the reality. Yeah. So at Union Community Care, we say you get the best care, whether you have resources or not, yeah. and we're going to make it accessible to everyone. 
So that is bucking the, that's bucking the system. That's saying, you know, we're not going to follow the way other people say it is. So we're naturally a bunch of characters (laughs) and uh, we're people who don't like rules. So as soon as you say, well, you have to, or the world works like this, we're going to cock on you, (laughs) right? And we're going to be like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so we have to do things a little bit different in our team uh, because we believe that we're here to create more fairness yeah. and more equity in healthcare, yeah. and we're not going to do it by following yeah. uh, the rules that everyone has yeah. set out. Okay, Alex, I, when you think about high performance, and I know I, I saw on LinkedIn that I can't remember exactly how long it's been, but earning your PhD and and um, what a big milestone that yeah. is and congratulations. Stressful you, milestone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Painful, stressful. Do you have a, a sense of what pushes you to achieve past maybe what you maybe thought you could? I think for me the it's it's more about myself, so not comparing to other people mm-hmm. and looking at well just cuz other people have achieved something just cuz other people have worked towards a doctorate or anything like that. Um, I think for me, it was just what, how can I be the best form of myself? Mm -hmm. Um, And education is one of my like core values, core um, areas that I try to grow in. And so I think for me, achieving that, you know, that high bar um, in education was just something I've always strived for. And I love the fact that education is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's There's no end point. So even though you earn that degree, um, I think mm-hmm. it just pushes me further because you're like, oh, I've reached that point. But, and a lot of people have asked me this, they say like, oh, now that you've earned that, you know, you're done with school. And I, I usually say, yes, I'm definitely done with school in terms <laughs> of, you know, getting the debt and all that stuff. But um, I think in terms of learning that mm-hmm. that's going to keep going. Continue. Yeah. Ever evolving. I love that. I, I've been reading a lot about potential lately and in in all the things that I've that's really struck me it seems like well maybe these are like my three key things that I think are that are really important to unlock high potential and one that comes up again and again is around discipline and related to it is this and this comes from Adam Grant's book Hidden Potential and, and other other uh, sources, but related to it is this idea of engaging in pro-social behavior, you know, collaborating like in the story. And so when you think of yourself and how you've achieved what you've achieved throughout your career, what do you think, you know, how has discipline and pro-social behavior tied to your success? What are there practices or routines um, that you've adopted, Elisa, what's, do you have a sense of, what do you do? If somebody's listening to this, they're like, what does Elisa do in the morning? To get right? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if they want to know that, but, um, you know, I, I think discipline is so essential. And sometimes we think of the word discipline and we associate it with growing up, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and having our parents discipline us or in school or whatnot. And I was always doing the wrong thing. So I got a lot of discipline. <laughs> um, but I think discipline is really about accountability. Mm-hmm. And the first person in my case that I'm accountable to is myself. Um, so I have just habits. Yeah. And, you know, I don't worry about, you know, what happens next year. You know, I worry about today. 
So um, I set habits that I use and I've used for years. I create um, a work compass every week. I do it on Friday afternoon for my next week so that I'm not, I don't have the Sunday scaries. I know what I'm doing because yeah. I've established it on Friday. And that work compass, you know, it points to my true north. And my mm. true north is, you know, the mission of what we're trying to achieve. So I try to create space every week to be inspired. Mm. Uh, because for me, inspiration is really where I get the energy to be able to do all the tasks that need to get done. Yeah. Um, and then I try to cascade, you know, so I make sure that my senior leadership uh, team as well, you know, that they have uh, their focus goals. I try to make sure that, you know, we're checking in on a regular basis. And I'm also really disciplined about giving and asking for feedback. Okay. I, I try to, you know, really make a habit of doing that. And um, I'm also really disciplined about my one-on-ones with my direct reports. So those aren't just you know things that are on the calendar that will get pushed for any reason. Okay. There has to be a really good reason to push those because that's the carved out time to do the important work. And, and so staying focused on that, I think, has been essential for me. Okay, so I recently was moved to the president role here at Work Wisdom. Congrats. (laughs) Thanks. But also that means that I now have Mm -hmm. (laughs) one-on-one direct report meetings. So I didn't know, I didn't mean to ask this, but I'm like, you're here. So I'm going to ask you, (laughs) what what is the, I I love the fact that you don't move them, that they, that is, that's actually really helpful for me to think about. But what, what's like the meat of those? of those one-on-ones completely dependent on the person I'm working with yeah so there are folks that I work with who like a one-on-one that's very regimented they want to tell me um, where they're you know what they've been doing they want to ask questions I have other one-on-ones where they really just want to be inspired they want to hear what's going on tell me about Mm -hmm. the future and then um, there are one-on-ones we really have to kind of talk about a specific project and do some deep dive so I try to make space for all of those things but I think the most important thing is to, for it to have meaning to the person that I'm working with, yeah. right? Um, I sometimes put in some things that I have, but um, if I have something very specific to talk about, you know, I will set up a, a separate meeting. And in okay. our team, we call them quick connects. Okay. Um, so I get a lot of pushback and a lot of jokes made on my quick connect uh, <laughs> concept, but because that's that's topic based. That the one on one is left for a space and grace. Um, but when you move them, often. You know, you're mm. basically telling the person that I don't value the relationship. Mm. I don't value the opportunity to give or receive feedback. Mm-hmm. And I really want to say it's also receiving feedback. Yeah. So, you know, so that we can ask, hey, mm. you know, let me know what I'm what I'm doing that mm. I could be doing better. Because if we don't create that space, then the threshold to get or receive feedback is so high yeah. that folks won't get there. Yeah. And we just the, we make the stakes too high. And I think by lowering the stakes, we're more likely to both get and receive the type of feedback that helps us all get better. Yeah, I love that. What about, um, sorry to put you on the spot there, Lisa, but thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. Uh, What about you, Alex, this concept of discipline? um, And and if you read uh, Hidden Potential, you know, he talks about pro-social behavior and collaboration. Uh, What's your your recipe? So, like you said, in his book, um, Adam Grant did talk about being pro-social and he talks about it in the idea of being a sponge um, oh, yeah. in terms of being like that he sees it as learning um, but I think he also means you know sharing what you've learned what you've experienced with others and I think that's honestly the the main way that I've grown in my career um, is not just taking in information and taking in um, experiences and holding it to myself because mm-hmm. if I'm not sharing that with somebody else mm-hmm. 
it's not really becoming concrete. Mm -hmm. And I think that he's really highlighting that in his book about, you know, teaching others what you want to learn and coaching others are the ways that you can grow as a leader as Mm -hmm. well. Um, So you're kind of, it's kind of like a two-way street where you're doing these things for the other person, but at the same time, you're growing Mm -hmm. in that process. And it's, I think that's like the best part of being on a team is these mutually beneficial experiences that, you know, you're not really having to do extra work. It's just, you're helping that person and then they're in turn helping you. Yeah. uh, I was sharing before the podcast with Elisa how um, the Golden 13, I guess they were 16 at the time, but Mm -hmm. when they were studying, they would um, put sheets up in the bathroom to hide that they were studying way past uh, lights out. And basically these guys just split up the topics and then they taught each other. So they coached and taught each other and everybody was an expert. And the way that they learned because they had to teach it was it stuck. And Mm. yeah, I really did love that. I think what a marvelous way to to educate (laughs) and um, and and then they all had that buy in. They were like, well, I I guess I'm teaching tonight in the bathroom. (laughs) So I got to bring it. Oh, it's so good. So um, I, I'm really curious when you think about this idea of of motivation and, and high performance and, and discipline. I don't know if there's an answer to this. When I was coming up with these questions, I know that they were hard. So I they are hard. <laughs> uh, but is there any, um, and, and I want to hear from you, how, how, Elisa, how does it tie into motivating and unlocking like your team's potential. I'm not just trying to get like free coaching here for you, <laughs> but is there is there a connection there? Absolutely, I think there's a connection um, because I think as leaders, ultimately, we nurture environment, we nurture yeah. culture, and um, that's it. Yeah, that's it. So, you know, how do you know, how do you create culture? How do you nurture culture? I don't know that we even create culture. We just kind of nurture it and Mm. try to try to keep it growing in the right directions and prune it where we want it to be pruned. Um, So I think, you know, when we think about how to do that, it's really about understanding both the incredible power that we have as leaders Mm. and holding that equally at the same time with how unimportant we are. Both things so are true, true at the same time, yeah. okay? Because you have the power to make someone miserable, mm-hmm. but you can't actually make someone happy <laughs> as, a, as a leader, right? Yeah. So how about we make no misery, but then what we do is realize that ultimately we're not the most important person in the lives yeah. of the people we work with. We think we think we are. We're not. Yeah. You know, we think that they're listening to every word we say. They're not. <laughs> they're thinking about walking their dog or the treat they're going to have later on or whatever. So I hold both. I really do want to hold both mm-hmm. things to be true when I work with teams in that ultimately it's just about environment. So I love thinking about that for me personally because then I don't overinvest in any decision that I make. Mm-hmm. And I get really comfortable with failing because I know yeah. I'm not the most important person. Mm-hmm. And as long as I'm nurturing a good environment where there's no misery, right? I'm not making anybody miserable. <laughs> then I can fail yeah, and learn and then help the team learn and then fail again and then learn again and fail again. And pretty much we get to the point where that becomes normalized 
so that everyone is taking risks. Yeah. Everyone is pushing mm. boundaries. Everyone is trying things. And everyone's saying, oh, well, that didn't quite work out, but I learned this. Mm. And when that starts to happen, mm. you can feel it in a team. You can feel it in the culture mm. of the organization. And that's magic. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's magic. Oh, yeah. And so once you have the magic, you just nurture the magic. Yeah. Right? And 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 I just, I love that. I've, I've loved, you know, I've worked on many teams. I've probably led at this point now thousands of people. Yeah. And I love when I feel the spark of the magic because then all I get to do is step back yeah. and then just kind of maybe fan it once in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because people are creating it themselves. The yeah. team is now creating it. And once you have that virtual cycle, it's, it's oh my God. unbelievable. Yeah, I love that. That's so good. <laughs> that is, yeah. It's so like self-sustaining, which is just perfect. Or it's like, team sustaining right Right. like it's there's no self in it it's just it's a team sustaining and as you get different people on the team like they add new elements to it and it's it's beautiful it's such a privilege to see it yeah yeah that's so good so that was that's like the first kind of leg to the stool that i'm i'm thinking about the second one that i want to focus on is you know we're positive organizational uh firm. So of course, I'm going to pull out the optimism and positive mindset <laughs> that I think is really important. Did, did either of you ever see the Sean Aker TED Talk on the happiness advantage? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and you know, he talks about how positivity boosts performance, uh, and really practical ways we can actually rewire our brains to be more positive. I mean, it's so simple. You said if we exercise, meditate, journal on positive events, do a kind act, come up with three new things we're grateful for every single day, we can experience more positive emotions. Mm-hmm. And he did. He wrote a book in 2018 called Big Potential and found that positivity boosts performance, um, helps us manage stress and challenges more easily. And... Um, and, and then Martin Seligman has talked about uh, optimists and really this, these beliefs they adhere to, which is the hard thing isn't permanent, uh, personal, or pervasive. Right. It's, it's, it's going to change. It's not directed at me necessarily, and it's not everywhere. So, Alex, have, have you found that being optimistic has boosted your potential and performance i i have but i'll put i know we love qualifiers um <laughs> i'm gonna put a qualifier on it is grounded optimism mm-hmm. so i definitely believe in everything you just talked about with um optimism and a positive mindset but i think there has to be this ounce of grounding in mm-hmm. reality mm-hmm. Um, because if we let it get too far away mm-hmm. that reality um i think people especially in a leadership role, I think people are going to pick up on that and they're going to be um, actually discouraged if that doesn't come to fruition yeah. um, exactly how you said it. Yeah. And I think they might overanalyze it a little bit. Um, and in Sean Hacker's uh, TED Talk that you mentioned, um, he talks about flipping that script of mm-hmm. optimism and happiness um, and using that as the kind of leading the way versus mm-hmm. the end result. Yeah. And I love that because, you know, that end result format is, okay, it's it's in the distance. And mm-hmm. I hope I get there someday. Mm-hmm. I hope I work hard enough to get to that optimistic and um, that happy outcome. 
but switching it the other way, like you said, like it actually boosts your performance. Mm -hmm. So having that optimism up front um, actually leads to better outcomes in the long term anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's kind of like you said, the, the team sustaining uh, cycle there. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Elisa? So I'm an unqualified, unapologetically, a thousand million percent optimist. <laughs> and a thousand million is the right number. For yeah. Me. All right. Um, You're not being hyperbolic. I'm not being hyperbolic <laughs> at all. Uh, but, and I say that in joke, but I'm not really joking. Uh, I can't help but see the world from an mm-hmm. optimistic perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and I know there's something out there called toxic positivity, but like I refuse that because I don't think positivity is toxic. So if you're doing, if you're having <laughs> toxic positivity, there's something else going on. Yeah. Um, but I am optimistic. It is how my brain is wired. Mm-hmm. But I, tr- I do really try to think about it in terms of a team. You don't want to have all your team members being optimists like myself, like ex- extreme, ridiculous mm-hmm. optimists, but you don't want everyone to be pessimistic. You want to have mm-hmm. a nice balance. Yeah. So the idea isn't one is better than the other. The mm-hmm. idea is bring enough perspectives, bring diversity of perspectives mm-hmm. to a team so that any challenge, the, the idea, what I love so much about a team, and you highlighted it, so did you, Alex, is that in a team, you don't have to be the best. <laughs> Think about that. Like being the best is so much pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, God, you don't have to be good at everything. Mm-hmm. On a team, you just maybe have to know your one thing. You have to know what you bring. Right. Yeah. Where is your unique value? Yeah. And then you get other people that have their own unique value. They know they can lean on you for X. You know you can lean on them for Y. Mm-hmm. And it is just like, it is the best thing. And, and for me, teams are so important because I grew up in a very large family. There was yeah. 12 people in my family. My parents um, ran their own business, which was never a successful business, but <laughs> most small family businesses aren't. Yeah. And um, and my dad used to always say in Spanish, los, los necesitamos a todos para salir adelante. And what that means is you need everyone to get ahead, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Salir adelante which just means to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, like, I was the youngest of all the girls and all of my sisters were amazing. All my sisters are amazing, all my older sisters. But they realized very clearly that I had no ability in the cooking realm, right? Okay. Zero ability. <laughs> and so my sisters, they would give me the job of heating up tortillas. Okay. And then my sisters would tell me, Elisa, you're the best tortilla heater upper in our family. <laughs> no one else can heat up tortillas like you. And to this day, when I heat up tortillas, I just feel so proud of myself. Because why? You're not the best. You get your one job and you do it really well. So yeah. for me, being part of a team is really important. And um, being able to cultivate a team, to know my role on the team, yeah. and to help the others identify where their brilliance is at. Um, that's how we truly, and as Sean, you know, Sean Aker descri- uh, described it, uh, teamwork actually makes you happier. Yeah. So, you know, if we want to be happier at work, we got to be better yep. team members. Yeah. 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 You're so right. Yeah. It just, and we, we did this exercise at the beginning, beginning of the year with goals. And I love the fact we were like, you know, my goal is this, blah, blah, blah. And Kedron was like, let's go back around and why don't we say our goal and so collectively we said we're gonna do this and everyone was like what mm-hmm. wow it was like a magic trick everybody felt so much better and it, it was incredible it was just it switched like that um so i i think yeah i think those two things can work um in tandem the optimism 
And if that's your superpower, you're able, especially as the CEO, Elisa, you're like, you, it's great that you have that extreme optimism to kind of pull the team up and somebody, you know, that you work with is like, we got to, we got to be realistic mm-hmm. here. And you're like, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. I was like, let's look at what's really going to happen. But <clears throat> I, I am curious about this idea of, of really focusing on, on the positive. And, you know, one thing that Sean Aker talked about in his book was that you really need to focus on with feedback on what people are doing well. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, yeah, you have to correct people and things like that. But he's like, the, th- the thing that will grow mm-hmm. is when you say, when you did that, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but uh, again, I think there are people that are going to listen and they're going to be like, uh, I don't know. You know, is there a downside to this? Like, what's the challenge? You know, what will people say? What do you do <laughs> when things get really bad and they're really horrible? What's what's the what's the response to that? I th- I think like you don't when you have that experience, you can acknowledge it, but you don't have to accept it. So like there's a huge power in that where you can acknowledge yeah, things aren't going exactly the way that we are. I don't think that means that you're no longer an optimist. Mm-hmm. It just means that, again, you're kind of recognizing what's going on. Yeah. But then you're not accepting that that is going to be the continued reality. Yeah. So that difference between, okay, I'm going to acknowledge it, but I'm not going to accept that that's going to happen. Yeah. And I think that is a quick little mindset that you can yeah. kind of adopt there. Okay. Yeah, I can even hear it in feedback, which is like, this is an okay, but I know you. And I know what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a positive. What, what do you think? Well, I don't think that optimism is is put, you know, in opposition to giving real feedback. Yeah. I actually think because I'm optimistic, I know this real feedback is going to help help us all <laughs> succeed. I mean, yeah. so I think, I, you know, I've, I've given tons and tons of feedback. I've also received, you know, feedback when I was doing something I shouldn't have. And... Um, I can say that what I think it works really well is to create the structure to have lots of conversations about how someone yeah. is doing. And if you have the structure in place, you know, not to go back to one-on-ones, but whatever mm-hmm. structure. So you're always giving and receiving feedback. Mm-hmm. You normalize coaching. Yeah. So I've sat down with folks and said, okay, we, we literally talked four days ago. I wanted to just connect with you about how this project is going. Usually they're like, you know what? I'm just not happy with the way it went. And yeah. they're they're because they know the stakes aren't so high, yeah. okay. and so yeah. they themselves are saying, you know, I'm behind. This is why. Okay, what resource do you need? What support do you need? Well, I need this, or I just need to get to it. And then yeah. I say, I know you can. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I know. And then they. So the idea is, you know, don't don't let it get to be a disaster. Yeah. Like if it's a disaster, what you've done wrong? Like yeah. something's happened. <laughs> yeah. Something's happened. So let's not get it there. But then the other the other thing, and and I just wanted to touch on this because it's it was so important for me as I was thinking about this podcast. I thought, you know, who are the leaders? And there's a million of them that have helped. Again, my hyperbolic mm. million. Um, <laughs> there's so many that have helped me. But one, her name was Jill. She was my boss probably 15 years ago. She I worked for her for maybe four or five years. And I had only worked for her for a few months. And Jill was, she was no joke. 
Mm. This one was on it. She was not asking you about your weekend. She didn't know if you had a dog or not. She, it was all about work. And so I was kind of scared. And so I did this project and it, I worked for the government and um, we had to present this to the, to the Office of Management and Budget. And I made a mistake. And my mistake was a million dollars. Yeah. And Ooh. that mistake in the budget led to so many issues that then had to get fixed because I left out a million dollars in public health programming. Yeah. And this is someone who, myself, who's optimistic. And I thought, but like, and so I went to her and I said, Jill, I can't believe we got to redo the budget. We have to go back to the, to the Senate to, to mm -hmm. have it redone. And I, I literally thought she was going to fire me. Mm -hmm. She would be well within her rights to fire me. Mm -hmm. And Jill, she was no nonsense, right? Yeah. And she said, okay, walk me through it. And I explained how I did it. And she said, it seems like a reasonable mistake. We're going to get it fixed. And wow. I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe it. So maybe a couple months later, and she did. We got fixed. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm still mortified. So a few months later, I made another mistake. This was a much smaller mistake, but I made it. And Not I a was million. Like, Not, Not a million. million. <laughs> but I thought, Jill, for sure. Now she's never going to trust me. And I go in, and I'm like, Jill, you know, I'll just quit. But this is a small mistake. But it still is a mistake. Mm -hmm. And she said, But is it a million dollar mistake? <laughs> and I said, No. And she said, Then you don't got no problem. <laughs> And from then on, bar. for the four or five years we worked together, I'd be like, Jill, it's not a million dollar mistake. It's this. <laughs> and the fact that she brought humor to it yeah. and we were able to laugh about it mm -hmm. is something that I learned this you know, 15 years ago and I still use it with my team. Yeah. We bring humor to mistakes. Mm -hmm. We bring humor to missteps because then it, it becomes our own little internal language mm -hmm. that we have. Yeah. And, and I think when you think about a team, you have those more, you know, those mores, those norms that you've created. And I think some of those that are not just based on your wins, yeah. but that are yeah. based on your successes are so important to saying, hey, we're not all the best. Yeah. And we're not always going to get it right, but we still make space for you. And you're still okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that you owned it and you and learned from it. Um, I, I think this, I wonder if other high potential podcasts talk about how important, like our own mistakes that help us get there. Do, do we talk about this? Do we talk about the stumbles? And um, it's so key. It's, it's so memorable. I love, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, third, third leg of the stool. And Alex, you, you talked a little bit about this earlier, but this idea of being a learner in Hidden Potential, Adam Grant discusses this characteristic of being a learner and treating situations as opportunities to learn and grow, which it also boosts our confidence. Um, in the very first chapter, he entitles it Creatures of Discomfort, Embracing the Unbearable Awkwardness of Learning. And he has this incredible Helen Keller quote, uh, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experiences of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Uh, I love it. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> um, it sounds so much like growth mindset to me. You know, the growth is in the struggle. So, yeah, what do you think of this learning frame? You know, how can... How can how can leaders use this frame to motivate themselves and others? 
I, I mean, like you said, I already mentioned it, and I, I love the frame of being a learner. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider myself a lifelong learner. And I think the discomfort part is so true because we talk about, you know, if you're just sitting there comfortably, you know, what's, what's your push to learn new information? Mm-hmm. If you're comfortable with what's going on, you're not really going to seek out those that new information, those new skills, those new experiences that kind of will kind of boost that learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things he also says in the book, he talks about not striving for excellence, or, or he does talk about striving for mm-hmm. excellence, not perfection. Yeah. And I think that kind of helps people because they're scared to mess up. They're scared to have a million dollar <laughs> mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have you know leaders or supervisors or people like that that recognize that perfection is not the goal, yeah. but just being excellent yeah. is okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's extremely powerful, and it really pushes people to to adopt that learner yeah. mindset. Yeah. I think that's even more important for leaders, okay. um, because if you don't create that environment, you're going to have folks who show up. Uh, number one. Uh, acting like they know something that they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, number yep. two, being mm-hmm. quiet instead of asking the question because mm-hmm. they don't want to be the dumb person who asked the mm-hmm. question. So as leaders, we have to level set immediately. <laughs> so I have a practice which I would not recommend. I'll just share, <laughs> um, which is called the dumbest idea ever. Okay. And what it is is that in my leadership team meetings, I will often bring the dumbest idea ever. And I, I qualify it like that. Yeah. And that allows my team members to just beat up the idea. Oh my gosh, yeah. But what they don't realize, and this literally happened last week, they beat up this idea, because it probably was the dumbest idea ever. And in the beating up of the idea, the brilliance came. Uh, so mm. someone from the back's like, well, if we turn that idea, and then we did this part of it, and then the other person adds in, and the person in the front adds in, and then the person who never speaks up speaks up. Because <laughs> if it's the dumbest idea oh ever, if that's your baseline, right? Yeah. It can only get better. Yep. And your boss is sitting there, and, and it was their dumb idea, and you're clearly smarter than them. So it just it just <laughs> allows, and I can it just happened last Tuesday. The best idea came out of it. Yeah. Well, whose idea was it? Everybody's. Yeah. Right. And but the most important thing is it wasn't mine. Yeah. Because if I'm coming up with the best idea, man, the watermark for this company is really low. Because <laughs> it's my job to create environment. Yeah. Not my job to create the best ideas. Yeah. And so so I think when we as leaders say, I am not expected to know everything. Mm-hmm. I'm not expected to learn everything. Mm-hmm. I'm expected to create the environment where other people feel great learning. They feel even better sharing. And they feel comfortable saying, I don't know. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, that also, you get into like learning as you go versus learning up front, like before you even walk into that room. So, like on the spot, people are adapting. People are kind of taking that idea that you shared and kind of going with it versus, you know, they may have not had their preconceived ideas that they walked in the room. And I think that goes back to the Sean Acker TED talk of, you know, you're not leading with that confidence and excellence up front. You know, that kind of comes as you go and learn through the process. That's actually the end result. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, kind of flipping the script there as well in that process. Absolutely. So good. <laughs> I might want to steal that because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I, I, I love the idea. I, I think one of the biggest reasons why I said okay to being the president was because I, I know I don't have to know everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, 
I know I have to create the dynamic and ask the questions and admit to, I don't know, I need you to tell me. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. At Work Wisdom, we really cling to the learning frame as much as possible um, because I think I think that's what helps us get through what we what we don't know is coming around the corner. It's like, okay, you know, Janine and I were doing um, an engagement recently and we really didn't know how it was going to go, but we knew it was going to be exciting. And we knew we were going to learn from it. And, and that was enough to kind of, to get us through it. So, and it ended up working out pretty well. So to, to wrap up, I, you know, I imagine, I, I guess I have this, this image of um, someone sitting and listening to this and maybe feeling stuck a little bit. Um, they don't know what they're capable of, or maybe they're afraid to fail or they feel too exhausted mm -hmm. to even try. Do you have like a quick, like piece of advice? You said quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's qualifying. Or whatever. So I don't have a quick one, but yeah. I'll, I'll try to be quick-ish. Um, if you're exhausted, don't try any of this. Yeah. I'm sorry if that sounds like not what I should yeah. say. But yeah. if you're exhausted, you need to work on that. Take care of that Because in recovery from burnout, I will tell you, you can't do any of this. And this is just going to feel like a ton of bricks on your back yeah. that you cannot carry. Okay. So if you're exhausted, get the support you need to come out of burnout and get into burnout recovery because there is a space after that. Yeah. But if you're just feeling kind of like frustrated or like you don't know, well, this is the perfect podcast <laughs> because, um, you know, one thing it, and I would say for sure is the idea of um, disconnecting from the outcome. And what, what I mean by that is you coach, you create an environment, you lead with authentic authenticity mm -hmm. and integrity, you do all the things and then you disconnect from the outcome because mm -hmm. ultimately you're not as important as you think you are. Mm -hmm. And so... If the person chooses to do it, fantastic. If they don't, fantastic. Mm -hmm. But you're not responsible for the other person's outcome. Yeah. And so you're responsible for the environment you create and you're responsible for for leading yourself first. So if you do that, it, it just it, it helps to make it so that both the great things that happen, you don't really take credit for, and the good <laughs> things and the bad things that happen, guess what? You don't take credit for those either, yeah. right? Because you're creating the environment. And yeah. ultimately, each of us in a, in a work environment, what, no matter what your, your job title is, we are all just one team making our own individual contribution. So yours is not more important than ours. You know, that person's is not more important. So I think if we think of it from, I'm going to do my best, and then I'm going to let it be. Yeah. I'm going to disconnect from the outcome. Mm -hmm. Then we don't feel so much pressure and so much frustration. Um, and then lastly, just to leave, you know, listeners with, you know, I, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. But in reality, these are conversations that we are having all the time as leaders. And as leaders, we have to be able to talk to other people who understand us, yeah. who understand what it is to have the awe the awe of the of the responsibility yeah. of working with people and helping them succeed, but also sometimes the burden of it as well. Yeah. And mm -hmm. to have those folks that you can talk to and you can be authentic with and you can be honest with, um, those uh, those that's an absolutely essential. And yeah. I hope folks find that. Yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So for me, I'm I'm going to lean on Adam Grant on this one. <laughs> um, I'm going to share one of my favorite quotes in the book, um, which directly related to feeling stuck. So he talks um, in his chapter about getting unstuck. 
He says, a rut is not a sign that you've tanked. A plateau is not a cue that you've peaked. There are signals that it may be time to turn around and find a new route. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you know, sometimes it feels like you might have hit a dead end. Mm-hmm. You might have hit that end of the road um, component. You might feel that stuck feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are kind of scared to turn around and, and try a different route um, because they feel like that's like a step backwards or in the wrong direction. Um, but really, I mean, and Adam Grant talks about this too in some other work, you know, a lack of movement kind of leads to that feeling of languish, yeah, which is so scary. Like that is one of the scariest like feelings you can have. So movement is more motivating. Yeah. So yeah. a lack of move, a lack of movement, you know, can feel that languish, and just moving in some direction can feel better than no direction. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful for me, yeah. um, because people are so scared to kind of turn around. Um, and he talked about, you know. I think you had even mentioned it like a compass um, instead of using a map because a map Mm. is so prescriptive. It's like, you know, take for people that know like what MapQuest and (laughs) and Google Maps, like that kind of stuff, like it's telling you exactly how to get there. Mm -hmm. And if you don't follow that, it's let's recalculate, recalculate over and over again. Um, Whereas, you know, if you're using a compass, it's more so just guiding you in the right direction. That true north that you talked about, Alyssa, and just getting there. you know, it, it may not look exactly like how you want, but as long as you're following that, you can you can kind yeah. of achieve that. I love it. I uh, before we sign off, I think that this I have a little bonus question because I think that there might be leaders that are struggling with maybe motivating someone on their team, or they're getting frustrated by lack of buy-in, and they know the potential's there. Um, what encouragement do you have for those leaders that might be specifically dealing with that? Do you have, Elisa, do you got, you got some wisdom? <laughs> I don't know about wisdom, but um, you lead the willing. Yeah. Because okay. if you're getting frustrated as the leader, you're mm-hmm. not bringing the energy that's necessary to inspire others. Ugh, so yeah. you just lead the willing, right? And if you only have one willing person on your team, guess what? That's more than zero. <laughs> I'm optimistic, right? Yeah. It's more than zero. So lead the willing. Don't worry about the folks that are, this is not their space. Yeah. Because they may not be motivated right now because other life situations, who knows what people have going on. So just lead the willing. And then guess what? That one becomes two and that two becomes three. Mm -hmm. And there are folks who are not willing and they'll fall off and they'll go find Mm -hmm. something that's better suited for them. But if you're focusing on your energy on the folks that aren't bringing it, you are demotivating yourself. You're probably not doing the best for the team. And you're leaving the willing that are ready to go with you, yeah. you're leaving them just sitting there. Yeah. So yeah. just lead the willing. Yeah, yeah. I love, that's so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. I, I'm so grateful for both of you being part of this movement of helping others in the workplace enhance their individual and collective team performance. Thank you listeners for downloading The Behaviorist. We hope you'll subscribe. You can also contact us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy work wisdom press and productions. You can ask questions and um, give suggestions for topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. As is our custom, we'll leave you with a quote. This one is from Carol Dweck from her book, Mindset, which is so good, I highly recommend. Uh, Mindset, how to fulfill your potential. She said, genius is not enough. We need to get the job done. Yes. <laughs>